1: What's up? It is 2 p.m. on a Wednesday afternoon. Thanks for tuning in to Cannabis Legalization News, where we explain marijuana laws so you can change them. Today, we're talking all about dispense or delivery licenses in Massachusetts. We're going to be joined by David from our Boston office and Grant Smith-Ellis from Massachusetts Cannabis Reform Coalition. So let's say hey to him. And Miggy from Cabo. See what he's up to. Hey, Miggy. Hey! What's up? Hey, everybody. <laughs> What's up? Hey,
0: we have so many great people on the screen. Thank you so much for joining us for an international episode of Cannabis Legalization News with a Boston-centric theme. Actually, it's Massachusetts-centric. But, Miggy, where are you reporting live from right now?
2: Live from Cabo San Lucas, baby. Look at that. Ah, I, I got first world problems. Can't complain. And Oh, wait, wait. Let me, uh, let me show you my, uh, the fruits of my labor today. From D.C. seeding to- so, if you want to know how to get drugs in Mexico, you walk yeah, down no. the street. Wait, wait, but that's weed. That's not. That's not a
0: drug. It, there's a difference.
2: Oh no, I was, I was asked for coke and shit afterwards, but uh, I was oh. like, "Yeah, I'll take." And I and I haggled it down from 120 to the 40 bucks I had in my pocket.
0: I like how he took all the money that you had in your pocket.
2: Hey, but look, I got a hundred dollars worth of seeds. Hundred dollars worth of seeds.
0: All right, Sweet. man, that's, that's good. You know, bag seed is where ChemDog came from, or at least so I've heard.
2: But- that's where our whole uh, world came from, man. Like, I mean, I, I you know how I, I don't put faith in genetics. I mean, I do like when someone grows specifically, like artisan type shit, but if I find a seed and grow it and it gets me high, guess what? <laughs> Success. Yes. <laughs>
0: yeah. Nice. Well, you know, um, we did bring in some co-hosts because we weren't sure if Mickey was going to be able to join us. And so there's big news out of Massachusetts. They have the avant-gardiest of the avant-garde when it comes to cannabis retail establishments, the cannabis delivery operators license. And Grant Smith, Ellis and David over in our Boston office are here to walk us through what's going on in Massachusetts. So, Grant. Thanks for coming on the show. Can you introduce yourself
3: and explain a little bit of what's going on in Massachusetts? Oh, thanks for having me. Um, you did a pretty good job introducing me. I'm I'm just some guy really that does cannabis activism up here in Massachusetts. But um, the really big news is with that uh, delivery operator license uh, over the past two or three years, the Massachusetts Cannabis Control Commission has undergone a relatively extensive process to roll out adult use delivery in the state. And from the summer of 2019 through until today, Uh, That process involved sort of two or three different license types. The first was like an Uber Eats style courier license. Then what was called a delivery endorsement for micro businesses, which are small craft cultivators that can deliver their products directly. And then the coupe de gras was um, the delivery operator license. And I call it a coupe de gras because the goal in creating these three licenses was to dismantle a supply side oligopoly oligopoly that had formed in the hands of a few large companies so with this license coming out um they're looking at taking at least a 200 million dollar per year hit and by they i mean brick and mortar retailers in the commonwealth wow there,
2: now the, the 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 new recent uh, and david you guys might know the the new license is uh, social equity only
4: correct for the next three years to, um, it's kind of, you know, it's a good thing, great. It's a great thing that it's there now. Obviously it was an afterthought because for the next three years, only social equity or economic empowerment participants are eligible for these delivery licenses.
0: Hey, why don't you explain to people how you guys do social equity in Massachusetts? Because there's various ways to do it all over the map. And I like how you guys do a a qualification screening on the front end so that they're qualified prior to the application. So, David, can you walk us through what social equity is in
4: uh, Massachusetts? And then Grant, if you want to follow up. Uh, Sure. So what it is in Massachusetts, it's actually a program that the state, funds and you actually have to, have to apply and be um accepted into the program they accept a lot of people from what i understand, there's been two cohorts of uh, social equity participants and about 600 people total have gone through so they accepting about 300 per cohort uh, but to be a, a social equity participant there's uh, a few ways you can do it you can live in one of the 39 communities that have been identified by the cannabis control commission as an um a, an area that's been negatively impacted by the war on drugs. If you lived there for the last 10 years, you're eligible. If you or a family member have been arrested for a marijuana crime, um, then you are eligible. If you or, or a close family member, father or brother or sister, close family member have been arrested for a marijuana crime, then you are eligible for the social equity program as well. Did I get it all wow.
3: Grant? Um, yes. There's one uh, No, no, you got it right. Um, But there's the the 30,000 foot elevation perspective is in the spring of 2018, the first equity program was created called the Economic Empowerment Program. That program had six criteria. You could meet three of the six. One of the criteria was um, you're being someone from a uh, black, Latino, um, indigenous uh, background. And then there was um, similar criteria to what you just laid out, living in an area of disproportionate impact, which is um, an area that cannabis can Commission actually measured and identified as an area that was disproportionately impacted by cannabis enforcement, cannabis law enforcement. That program only had 123 people in it. It ended in the spring of 2019. But those people can apply for the delivery licenses. The social equity program is what you talked about. Uh, It's a rolling cohort each year. The first two cohorts are done. The third cohort starting in July. One thing I will mention is it's not just that social equity and economic and empowerment applicants can get the delivery licenses, it's that the entity that applies for the license has to be 51% owned and controlled by an SE or an EE, and that's a big, big difference.
0: Yep, that sounds uh, very similar to how they've approached in Illinois with the 51% ownership and control. Uh, they do five out of the past ten years, as opposed to the all ten years. And then it with Illinois, it's um, kind of just generational. So, like if your father was arrested for cannabis pro, uh, you know, cannabis possession, you'd benefit as his kid. Or if your kid was arrested uh, as it, and you know, you benefit. So the the brothers and sisters, the siblings that that didn't happen in Illinois.
2: I like, you know, to to grant, I'd like to give you props. I mean, most people won't bring this up, but uh, you actually helped propel this thing that happened because there was a lawsuit, right? Like like a bunch of these corporate assholes were, were, were like trying to stop this from happening. And yet you and a bunch of your locals uh, stood up and won, right?
3: Yeah, I guess I left that part of the story out uh but the license did not uh, just come about, even dating back to the summer of 2020, when the delivery operator license was first proposed. Um, and the people who put the work into that, it, I was just a small part of it. I was the Massachusetts Cannabis Association for Delivery, uh, Aaron Goins, who I think you've talked to before, Devin Alexander, Morris Party, and Janelle, uh, Janelle Goins, Aaron's wife. Um, so when the... Cannabis Control Commission itself was creating this license type, the large corporate operators were flooding the zone. And that is not an understatement uh, in front of the regulatory body, because what happens is the regulatory body, unless it does a sub-regulatory guidance, which is just like a letter, it has to do a full regulatory revision, which includes public comments and things like that. So they're flooding the zone, we're flooding the zone, and we got the commission to create this license. Instantly, three months later, they filed suit. The the brick and mortar retailers filed suit against the licensed against the commission, and they didn't just go after the delivery operator license. They wanted the priority period for equity companies ruled illegal because what their real goal is, was not only did these brick and mortar retailers want to be able to be the uh, ones, the only ones allowed to do delivery. They wanted to be able to do it right away. And. That lawsuit only lasted about four days because I heard someone started a boycott that cost them one hundred and fifty thousand in annual dues to their uh, membership association, and then the suit dropped. So,
0: yes, uh, that just brings us to a wonderful aspect of law: it's expensive. So, like lawsuits, uh, I have a rule: if it's more than fifty thousand dollars, you can consider suing. If it's not, why? You know?
2: Yeah. uh, But these these guys went through not a lawsuit, but through civil protests and cost them daily earned money, you know? But there was
0: a pending lawsuit. And then they took money away from the company. And then that company was like, well, we'll stop this lawsuit because money.
2: Well, this is the same thing that's going on. uh, I think it's in Michigan with uh, the MCMA or one of these associations against HomeGrow, right? Like, as consumers, we need to stand up and say, we're not going to fucking buy your shit. Yep. And that's one of the things that might end up uh, settling the Illinois
0: kerfluffle with their lawsuits is if they don't allow the uh, fix that they've made in HB 1443 to go in. Well, you'll just be a persona non grata. We'll just boycott your ass if you try to hang this up or, or, um, you know, screw with it and you don't let it go through. It'll be a real shame if you couldn't get any product, you know, or it'd be a real shame if... um, your dispensary wasn't able to get that zoning. So have I, uh, licenses been issued yet, or oh no, no, they're still under a rescore Right now, the yesterday the um, Department of Agriculture hit all the applicants for the uh, you know cultivation, the infused, the transport. They hit them with a fourth round. Of 10 day notices. So this is the fourth rescoring.
2: <laughs> well, and that's Chicago, right? Because we're where David and, and Grant are at. They're issuing these delivery licenses, right? It's a completely main...
0: different procedure. That's one of the reasons yeah. why I said we should talk about the differences in Illinois. You're kind of rolling the dice as to whether or not you are or ain't uh, social equity in Massachusetts. You're certified. And so you've got something that you're bringing to the table. Not only that, it's the 51 percent ownership and control, way less shenanigans after you've actually gone through this process and they've certified you, uh, and especially when it comes to that ownership and control element as uh, shifty corporate lawyers. Uh, not only do they have really sharp elbows, but they will just make something so circuitous that the person who's coming in is the social equity to get the points for the multimillion dollar piece of paper is bought out for 50 grand.
2: I would say the biggest difference between your guys in Illinois and over there in Massachusetts community. Because it seems Chicago doesn't have a community that is willing to stand up. Like, I mean, there is a small portion, right? The true equity cannabis people are a small portion. And I, and I really hope they get more united. Because that seems to be the key, right? A united community in any – just since Massachusetts, you guys were collective. And, and when they did the boycott, it did you cost somebody $100,000 a day? It says a lot. Do you, you think they could do that in Chicago? Do you think there's enough people, the consumers, are all on the same page? We're like, yo, I don't like this big corporate guy. I we don't like Walmart no weed.
0: We have no alternative to buy besides the corporate weed.
2: But couldn't you select corporate weed like per day and just fuck with them? I don't know. I'm sorry, guys.
0: We have like <laughs> no corp. We have nothing besides corporate weed in Illinois. That's the like you know. It's like. That's it. Those are the only operators we have. But, you know, one of the nice things about uh, Massachusetts is they actually have a micro business license and they've had more licenses handed out. So how how riddled with the MSOs uh, is the um, cannabis market in Massachusetts, uh, David or Grant? Anybody?
4: state operators. Yeah. It, Sorry, it's
3: Grant. Yeah, it's I mean, yeah, I'm sure, David, you have a lot of info on this as well. It's yeah. not it's not. The MSOs are definitely a threat, but I'd say the distinction is more between, like oligopoly-driven operators and sort of grassroots operators. Um, some of the MSOs, surprisingly, distance themselves from... And by oligopoly, I mean, so there is an intentional strategy on behalf of some very well-funded corporations to make it so that only a few companies can cultivate retail, deliver. That's kind of their... The limited str- license strategy is what they call it. That, yeah. that That's kind of their like uh, ideal goal, and it comes right out of like the post- anti-Sherman, uh, the post-Sherman anti Antitrust Act of 1890. It's like the J.D. Rockefeller playbook, like copied almost exactly. Because, um, yeah. but the uh, I, I got off track there a little bit because your question was. Um, uh, please remind me that not the micro business licenses, but uh, the MSO. So yeah, it, what's the what's
0: the mix? Like if I'm like, hey, screw this corporate cannabis, I'm going to go down the block and buy. Yeah. Can you actually do that? But you just said they're controlling the supply, so no. I mean, like you can't well, get a license.
3: But so that was the thing that started changing for the first time this year. For a while, the first two years, all the canopy, which is the cannabis being grown, was under the control of people in this trade organization. It's the Commonwealth Dispensary Association. <laughs> However, over the past six to 12 months not only have large operators like neta and Leave even cultivate started leaving the cda new cultivators micro businesses independent cultivators are being approved because that canopy control is now spread out the centralized forces can't use it to bully people they were actually forcing people they were saying and this is you know unconfirmed if you want to buy 50 pounds from us wholesale you independent retailers you need to buy five thousand of our terrible edibles that no one that won't move off the shelf Using their market advantage, and that's going away. Yeah! Wow! That's what hey, happens in Chicago? <laughs> what do you got to
0: add on that from your uh, knowledge and experience in our Boston office with the uh, Massachusetts cannabis? <laughs>
4: Well, I was going to say the multi-state operators, you know, just exactly what Grant was saying, that they were in control for so long here, that it's just recently that the micro operators and the other operators are going to be able to cultivate and get this the product into the stores. Um, one thing about the micro business license that has to do with the delivery is they add a delivery endorsement to micro businesses. So now, someone who opens a micro business also can get a delivery license um, and a delivery endorsement for that license allows them to deliver directly to the consumer which is nice. great for them and that's really where they'll be able to make a lot of money was and they'll be able to do- go directly to the consumer instead of doing wholesale to the retailer.
0: Yeah, I could see them getting throttled or at least pushed around, like Grant was just mentioning, when that uh, micro business comes online and it's trying to sell its own product. Uh, is it going to face, like, some type of problem when it's trying to take its product into the wholesale market? Is it going to get shut out in there? I mean, how does a, a, a micro business
3: access a dispensary? Oh, the, so um, there are two different options. So a micro business um, conventionally would be a 5,000 foot cultivator slash manufacturer and their only role would be to wholesale their products at about 50% of retail price to other dispensaries, MSOs or independent retailers, whatever. This delivery endorsement was actually a compromise that Britta McBride worked out in the summer of 2019 with a few advocates, Um, I may have been involved in that, where when it was just the Uber Eats courier model for adult use delivery, and just so folks get some understanding, in Massachusetts originally, adult use delivery was just gonna be what you know as Uber Eats. So a delivery company was Going to be able to own a fleet of vehicles, store them in a you know commercial space, and then pick up retail orders at retail price from dispensaries and make them make their money on the delivery fee. That model was so unworkable even before it launched. Some of us went to Britta McBride in the summer of 2019, who was overseeing the working group, uh, the commissioner at the time that was overseeing the working group to roll out adult use delivery. And we said you you cannot do this. It, you, I put it on public record. In fact, myself, I said if you do this, it's going to lead to hyper consolidation. They're going to just get rid of these couriers after two years. And Britta McBride came back with some other commissioners, Shaleen Title and such, and said, what if we gave micro businesses the ability to both wholesale if they want or deliver their products directly to consumers? Now, that was the summer of 2019. The first business, micro-business, did not get their delivery endorsement until yesterday. That is Freshly Baked Company in Taunton, and they're the first ones doing it. But the point is, so first you get the Uber Eats Courier. Then you get the compromise for the delivery endorsement, which was good but not great. And now you got the delivery operator, which is basically a micro-business with a delivery endorsement with no 5,000-square-foot cap.
2: Okay, now, top that off, when did you guys legalize it?
4: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's the thing. 20, 2016, right? Yeah. 2016 became, became legal. Five 2018, was the, 2018 was the first time uh, a dispensary even opened. You could even buy it.
0: Yep. Yep. Isn't that how it is? Cannabis legalization is not a light switch. It is a maze that takes two years.
2: Yes, sir. yeah
0: If that. Well, you know what? That gives us something to think about as it is 20 past the hour. Still like to give a shout out to Webjoint on that one. Webjoint has sponsored our 420 somewheres for this month. And if your cannabis company would like to sponsor them, Hit us up. You know, you can just drop in my DMs at Cannabis Industry Lawyer on Instagram. Uh, WebJoint is a delivery service in California that is doing a capital raise. So if you want more information about that, hit me up at Cannabis Industry Lawyer.
4: I did want to mention that the the micro business delivery endorsement sounds fantastic, but it's still only open to social equity participants. (laughs) Even though there are, what, 20 micro businesses, but unless they're a social equity participant as well, they can't get
3: the delivery endorsement. And what's I'm okay. oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, Maggie, please.
2: No, brother I was gonna say it still took five years to get where you guys are at. Like like, like, like like it sucks that as we talked about the one social equity winner, Aaron, uh, uh, you know, like I know watching one of his podcasts, uh, uh I hate to say it, but you know, as a black man, he had so much trouble. And I think Parvo's race, right? Each fucking neighborhood he went to, each township, when it was like not in my backyard because you're not the face that I want representing this new thing, right? Like, he should have easily got this this cannabis conversation. It amazes me that we even have 20,000 subscribers over weed. Like, to me, it's such a non-subject, right? Like, when Tom came out to HempFest and 200,000 people are getting high, I told you, like, dude, this is the most anti-climatic thing. Like, like, this is stupid. Like, you smoke a bunch of weed, and, you know, like, alcohol is rampant out here in Cabo right and and it's like that's where the dumb shit happens where you get your dumb america stigma but if like if weed was the thing that was your they were known for man you just have a bunch of people chilling on the beach yeah like there's no there's nothing like exciting happens with weed like overdosing yeah, or whatever
0: if, like if jazz was like the nba but like not the utah Jazz, but like <laughs> the music jazz and so like that's that's the risk that you would have if everybody was just like Rampant weed smokers They'd be like Hey man Did you see Charlie Mingus yesterday Yeah he sold out the forum It was crazy But um, Yeah I don't know If that's going to happen We can all hope yeah, it does
2: But the fact that It takes these guys Five years to get where they're at and, and like yes It's also social equity Applicants that are winning But I mean Is that right or wrong I would say it's right Compared to the history We've had in America Right Like like I, yeah, This weekend I just got done watching uh, 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 I think it's Black Jesus And then the Judas Right. True story to happen in Chicago. Right. With uh, 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 and the God it. I've been drinking and smoking all day. But if you Google the movie, you'll know the gentleman's name. But the fact is, there is a, a people out there that are afraid of what? Us being together as other people smoking weed and just not hating each other. This is the dumbest war against us. Right. I mean, it, it makes no sense. Why do you want to stop everybody just like being chill? <laughs> but whatever because, reason it is, because. Yeah, because I can't tax you on that. I can't tax your happiness. I can't. I can't fucking. Yeah, you can. Apparently, Let's talk a little bit about some good
0: news. You know, that, I mean, like freshly baked becomes the first. It, company, can, yeah. company in Massachusetts to get approval. We do have that story. Well, oh cool yeah, five
2: it. years there. It's a good story.
0: Yeah, did, but you yeah. know, it's it's not bad. I mean, like May twenty eighth. So this just happened. So he's not kidding. And then uh, they tell you that NIMBY effect right there. Those two canopreners. I don't know if we could trust the company. It's just that shouldn't even be a part of the equation, but I think a lot of it is the weed itself is the prejudice. And so like, that's something that we could kind of discuss uh, cause I haven't really ever hung out in Boston uh, or seen its uh, East coast cannabis culture. Um, how is the stigma against marijuana in Boston grants? And then David, if you also would like to chime in.
3: Oh, I, I think, it's pretty much non-existent at this point there was a time maybe 20 years ago 30 years ago where it was kind of like keep it in private these days completely the opposite Uh, you'll be ostracized in public if you try to shame someone for smoking um, that kind of thing which is very interesting for example there are it's very common in Egypt, if you've ever been to Egypt, if you're walking around, they will just say to you, welcome to Egypt, like over and over and over again, if you're a tourist. In Massachusetts, if you're walking around and you kind of look weird, if you smell cannabis, people will say to you, welcome to Massachusetts. So I've always thought that was, that was a funny little change there.
4: I'll, I'll speak for the, the soccer mom, soccer dad crowd. It's still on the down low, you know, because I wear my CLN shirt out and mm-hmm. then people ask me what I'm doing and I tell them, Canada's attorney, let me tell you about what I'm doing and I start talking to them about what I'm doing and lo and behold, you find out that, you know, someone likes to do their edibles on the weekends or likes to smoke after night when the kids go to bed instead of a glass of wine and they do talk about it but it's more on the down low still and I don't know how to, I'm trying to change that here. I think, um, I think more with the delivery and as uh, the program grows more and more, I think that will change.
0: Yeah, because oh, that's, that's something yeah. that you guys can actually calculate, which is fun. Calculating demand and then canopy size for fueling that demand. That's one of the things that you really can get if you, um, uh, you know, do get into the cannabis industry and hire us. It's like, all right, well, let's start uh, crunching some numbers to see how much product you're going to be moving from that facility and then see where it's going to come in so we can put a valuation on your stuff. Um and it's fun. And then from that, you can extrapolate an entire state and be like, OK, so how much uh, cannabis was smoked up with the people of Massachusetts last year? How many pounds? And then the thing about seed to sale, the nice thing is all this stuff is tracked. It's all data that's out there. We know how much weed was legally smoked. And by legally smoked, I mean, like, do you guys have you guys have home grow out in Massachusetts, right? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, adult and medical yes
3: yes and i should weigh in here because so adult use from the very beginning our home grow has been six plants per adult up to 12 plants per home if you have two adults over 21 <laughs> medical use home grow used to be those same limits it actually just got expanded because of how successful our home grow program has been medical patients just by getting a medical card can now grow 12 flowering plants and 12 vegging plants and oh, wow. have unlimited clones plus their adult use allotment oh Oh my gosh! My God. I would have
0: to That's build amazing. out another garage if I was in Massachusetts. It's like, what are you doing? I'm I'm gonna have a 24 plant operation, obviously. You know, and I don't consider p- clones or props plants. You know,
2: but the, but did you hear what you said? Though that that the the, the home grow of medical didn't affect, or the home homegrown of rec- recreational didn't affect, like 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 the crime or any other bad shit that they're talking about, right? Like right. homegrown doesn't hurt industry. In fact, it helps because they expanded uh that's yeah. crazy man well
0: yeah because like the people that usually grow at home are the connoisseurs that kind of go through a lot of product and so like duh of course more people are going to buy weed then and they're also going to be less tolerant of shit weed which is something that we're kind of tolerant of here because there's no alternative you know it's not yeah. it's not what we're going to be playing here in a moment when we when we do the strain of the day miggy's helping <laughs> us out on that one i gotta step out i'm back in a minute awesome so what else should we know about uh, the procedure for getting a cannabis license in the state of Massachusetts? It appears that it's only open to for business for
4: social equity applicants right now, right? So Grant, the the new social equity cohort starts up in July. Is there I've always been wondering, is there a cap to how many applicants they'll accept into the program?
3: No, it's a rolling cohort. Um, So anyone can apply if you meet one of the three criteria uh, starting in July. And uh, I don't believe they have um, a cap, but they do do RFIs, which are requests for information. Uh, It's part of the application process. They'll RFI your application to be in the social equity program if they have questions.
0: Oh, I love it. And so, like, see, it's that screening process that's first. Now, let's talk about you've graduated and now you're trying to, this is where it gets difficult and tricky because a social equity applicant who's been certified by the state now has to go try to find a host community and probably some investors unless they're wealthy. And so, um, let's talk about the host community first because usually a community also has Wealthy people, but you know, we'll get to the investor after we found the community. Um, Grant, how does the host community agreement? arise. Where did that come from? We don't have that here.
3: Oh, I see. So it's a, in Massachusetts, we have something called the home rule amendment to our constitution, which is gives is because locals- you are a commonwealth. No. Um, it's because in 1978 or something, the Massachusetts municipal <laughs> organization lobbied the legislature effectively and got a home rule amendment passed. I think there was a Supreme judicial court case that kind of pushed the legislature in the direction of the home rule amendment. Um, Um, But it it was definitely kind of like a um, modern development. Um, Now, the Home Rule Amendment in particular in this context resulted in a bit of negotiation when the um, adult use cannabis law passed in Massachusetts. It passed as question four on the ballot in 2016. But it was delayed by Senator Jason Lewis in a vote held in the Massachusetts Senate without a quorum on December 23rd, 2016, until the summer of 2017. Now, in the summer of 2017, there was a compromise committee on Beacon Hill, which is our legislature, with three members from the state Senate. Um, Senator Will Brownsberger, Senator Pat Jalen, and then one other person I'm forgetting, and then three representatives from the House of Representatives. The House of Representatives were pushing for these massive changes to the voter-approved language. The Senate Compromise Committee was pushing for sticking with the voter-approved language. What we got out of that process was, among a bunch of other compromises on things like the tax rate and whatnot, was a compromise on local control. And what that compromise was, was that local cities and towns would not only get to choose whether they wanted to have cannabis establishments in their town or not, and the process by which they do that's a little complicated. If they voted yes on question four in 2016 as a town, they have to go to the voters to try to ban adult use. If they voted no the town in 2016, they can just ban it as a select board or town meeting or city council. So that's step one. Step two is they also have control over who opens a business in their city or town. Because before you can even begin the process of getting a provisional license on the state level in front of the Cannabis Control Commission, you have to get a host community agreement from the city or town in which you're going to open. And those cities or towns right now, although it could change because of a case that I'm sure you're aware of called Madiri Inc. versus City of Salem, are not being reviewed. So the city or towns have the ability to enter into these host community agreements to pick which businesses are going to be in their towns. And they can charge them what is supposed to be up to 3% of their yearly revenue for the privilege. But guess what? Because the HCAs aren't being reviewed by anyone, that 3% instead of a maximum fee has become a baseline. And some cities or towns will make these companies pay for fire trucks, traffic improvements, police cruisers. What's the problem there? Smaller companies can't afford to pay these extras, which are basically bribes, which makes it harder for them to enter the market and further consolidates control. So that's the situation with HCAs or host community. Agreements.
0: Uh, you see, this is why the cannabis laws change and evolve on an annual basis because we keep getting them freaking wrong. And then something else goes wrong. And then, and like everybody, as the more you try to control these types of licenses, the more this type of crap happens. And then the more that the price is inflated. I mean, it's just so freaking frustrating, but you got to start somewhere. Welcome back, Miggy. Hola. Hey, now that <laughs> Miggy's back. Want to play Name That Strain? Name
2: That Strain. This one's a uh, dense, so dense.
0: There it is. Ah. This strain is reminiscent of what I used to see when I was in high school in the 90s. Uh, It smells like 1990, my friend. It smells like 1990s and feet. Uh, it has a lot of seeds uh, for those of you watching at home uh, and listening in your cars. And then I could see, look at the stem development on that. David, uh, would you like to comment on the quality of the
4: nuggets that we are looking at to try to name <laughs> they, it
3: uh,
4: I'm looking at those nuggets that it's very tight and compact. Like it was uh, a brick, right? Like it was a brick almost. Like it was yeah. really compact and pressed down.
2: When yeah. you break this up, you can hear Pearl Jam. Really? <laughs> Literally, I think I heard Cypress Hill. Yes. Um, The name of
0: that strain, if anybody wants to guess, that is, you could just, that really has to be it Mexican brick weed. Uh, That was the strain. Uh, Miggy's Mexican dirt weed. I always like to call it, I was going to call it, uh, you're in
2: Cabo, right, Miggy? Yeah, I'm in Cabo. And here are the seeds that came out of it.
0: Yeah. I was going to call it Cabo Reggie's just, just, but it's a brick, man. I, I, I'm so glad that I have not smoked that stuff in at
2: least 15 years, at least so, maybe 20. But you know, the thing is though, so like brick Reed, it's just unloved marijuana. That's all it is. Like I had seeds from, like I used to get this shit in Tucson for 150 a quarter pound and sell it 50 an ounce. And, and of course for my ounce, I would, break up a bunch of seeds but i happen to have some six years later in washington state and i gave them to a grower friend because i am not a grower i mean i try i got one seed that actually got one plant surviving still so we'll see how that goes yay but i got a friend who's a grower he grew this beautiful fucking black bud and 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 he's like where did it come from i'm like yeah you you know as much as i know now like i came from a bag from mexico bro like this is what we got so but what i want to do too you know i was telling you later is I would love to do a giveaway. If I can make these back when I get home, if mm-hmm. I can make it back with these without any troubles, which, hello, Internet. Um, <laughs> I plan to... You, know, uh, you know law enforcement watches, right? Like, like oh, fucking... Well, you know, <laughs> the cops have been watching me since I've been blogging about this shit. Like, you know, whatever. <laughs> but, uh... I will. I want to do a raffle, a fundraiser for uh, Freedom Girl Forever, where, uh, you know, if, if you screenshot $5 donation to Freedom Girl Forever, I mm-hmm. want to put it in my email, you know, send me an email of that. And then when I get back, if I get, when I get back, when I get back with my seats. <laughs> I'm gonna well, get <laughs> That's uh, that is
0: one of the reasons why one of our membership levels is uh, what is it, the Miggy's story, like Miggy's next story. Our five dollar membership uh, level sponsors Miggy's next story that he likes to do on cannabislegalizationnews.com, or of course uh, our members' content. And uh, you know, we do actually have a, some stock news to kind of round out the report for uh, cannabis legalization news this week. This is some of the best stock news that I've gotten in a while. And it's not really stock news, but Amazon is going to stop testing many workers for marijuana and will lobby Congress for federal legalization reported by Tom Angel from Marijuana Moment on June 1st, 2021. That's going to be something that Amazon money is going to start being thrown around to legalize weed. How much quicker before you think you can say, Alexa, get me an ounce. (laughs) And she'll be like, do you want Hindu Kush or do you want the Purple (laughs) Urkel? Uh, Pass.
2: But we got a corporation now. A corporation saying we're going to change our drug testing policy because that doesn't mean shit. Like, good on you, man. I mean, like, I hate you, evil corporation, but good on you for recognizing that drug testing doesn't do shit. And and it won't. And do you know why they stopped this policy? Why is that? Because they can't find fucking employees.
0: Well, you know where did Amazon go? Like, where did like because Jeff Bezos drove to Washington State. So Dude, where, where the headquarters?
2: Have- the world, bro. But anybody that deserves to be vibing is the guy driving your shit for fucking ten dollars an hour, or the guy fucking stocking your shelves, for fucking fifteen, wherever you're living at. Like the shittiest jobs I've had, those are the jobs I deserve to be smoking weed at at that time and place. Like I make ten times as much money as I ever did as, as a kid, and like it's just more like. I know my job now because I've been doing it for fucking 20 years. But when I'm stocking shelves, I don't need to be sober. <laughs> you know what well, not only that, but then,
0: you know, a lot of those fulfillment centers have to be a fairly demanding job. And so after demanding jobs, it's nice to have an anti-inflammatory like weed to smoke. Exactly. Hey, uh, Grant, did they have Amazon out in uh, Massachusetts?
3: The, like the company or the Amazon of weed?
0: Uh, the company. And so what? what newspaper did bezos actually buy was it one of the ones in massachusetts it was no, an east coast
3: paper washington post
0: washington washington post and now he's going to lobby for cannabis reform
3: well that's and, and well so there's a couple issues um one is one of the big things we have in massachusetts that's cr- crucial to keeping our cannabis program um small is license limits and um Big companies like Acreage have learned this lesson. If you try to come into Massachusetts and subvert ownership and control by going over the three license limit per license type you can have as a company, they won't just catch you, the regulators, they will declare your contracts inoperable and throw you out of the state unceremoniously. And so the big issue when these new delivery licenses we talked so much about earlier were coming up was, are we gonna have an Amazon of cannabis? And Massachusetts was able to proudly plant the flag and say there is no chance with our license limit structure. Now, on the federal level, I'm worried, although I'm glad to hear they're not testing their employees for cannabis, No one should be tested for for cannabis. I don't think there should be workplace drug testing at all, but I'm a little bit of a radical there. Um, But the, the thing I'm worried about is companies don't get involved with regulatory lobbying benevolently. They get involved because they look at it as a mechanism for regulatory capture and corporate control. And I talked a little bit about J.D. Rockefeller earlier. The real J.D. Rockefeller in this situation, in particular, if they go after cannabis, will be Bezos because what Rockefeller did I, it's a nuanced thing, but it's so important. He controlled some oil refineries in Cleveland, just two or three at first and then 26. And eventually he owned almost every oil refinery in the United States. What did he do? He made a deal with the railroads where he would do last mile. They would do last mile delivery for him at half re, half price for a few years, kill off all the independent oil towns. And then he would kick them back, all those um, rebates that he had been given. As a direct result of him doing that, we got the Sherman Antitrust Act of 1890. And we're going to see something like that in the cannabis industry with last mile delivery. And the impetus is going to be on the smaller companies and the grassroots activists to stop it because there isn't going to be an e Tarbell this time.
0: I'm sorry. That. that was a wonderful anecdote, but I did not hear the Eba Tarbell at the end. I was with you until you said the very last sentence. What was oh, that?
3: Oh, Ida tarbell was the first investigative journalist in american history her uh she worked for a magazine called mcclure's magazine in the early 1900s and she was friends with teddy roosevelt and her um first serialized publication was called the history of the standard oil company and she single-handedly brought down that trust wow
2: but i love that you brought up how like big companies don't ship and don't do ship benevolently like that's 100% 100% of true and, and and my thing about corporate cannabis big cannabis and, and is and I, why I'm not scared of them why I encourage them because first off uh everybody should have a chance for wellness and, and but the thing is rich people don't want to go to jail and so I've always been a champion for farmers right like it comes down to the farmer to me like that's my bro that I want to keep out of behind bars and 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 have his goodness because yo you got a skill set that I do not have. Like I can smoke the shadow weed, I can grow possibly one good plant a year, but I am not going to grow fucking 300 plants or 100 plants. Whatever your six plants home grow. I can't grow six plants. So you can yeah. if you have a medical card, right? Uh, and a skill set well, of course,
0: but that, that goes for everybody. Anybody who's growing needs a skill set. Otherwise, their plants will die.
2: Dude, even though I have been an advocate for 20 years, I got the thumb of death. All right? I got I got one plant. I could not live. Uh, I can't hunt tacos, and I can't fucking grow weed. <laughs>
0: Now, David, those seeds. <laughs> yeah. How, how are your weed growing skills, David?
4: Are they all right? Um, New England doesn't have, at least in my experience, doesn't have the best climate for growing. So I don't have a great experience. But like, could you grow if you wanted to? Absolutely. I could. I could. Well, um, inside
2: um, you would you would have to because you would have to compensate for like uh, uh, like humidity and stuff. You know, for real growers who do shit, you compensate for your environment. And I'm lucky enough in Northwest. I got one plant I threw outside, and it survived out of four. You know, that's to me how how nature works. From Southern California, uh, uh, my my grandmother, uh, you know, does plants. You know, I I just help weed. That was all I did. I didn't do any of the soil stuff. Added nutrients. Didn't talk to them. I mean, that's how real growers are. though. So, you know, people who love the plant, and I, you can see like a like a a mechanic or even a lawyer, someone who knows a craft. Right. Like like someone who loves the shit they do. That's the good shit.
0: Well, that's that's one of the things that I just feel so lucky to be able to work in this industry. The problem with this industry is, in my opinion, is there's not enough of it. And so um, now we've gotten through the host community agreements. We still haven't gotten that guy an investor. So we've gotten them certified as social equity. Now they've gotten and they've they've figured out how to not be Totally shaken down for bribes from the community. The community's being very benevolent and just taking a meager 5% of the gate. And so now you have to readjust your financial pro forma and say, well, crap. All right. Well, this line item here that's marked bribe, I know, just put that as home community agreement tax. And now you have to go and get a, an investor, How are how many is that why there's just not that many new openings, because it's very difficult for the social equity applicant to climb these ladders to go from getting certified to getting a a community that wants them and then having the capital to actually be able to because one of these buildings, they aren't cheap. You're talking about building a 5000 square foot flowering canopy uh, premium indoor grow. We've quoted talking a couple million dollars. Yeah, there's
3: millions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, the real question that we're grappling with now in Massachusetts and other states should grapple with is how can you make it so that these applicants can get through the process without having to pay rent while they're waiting for the licensing decision? That's thing one. And then thing two is right. So we've realized the FDIC issue, right? So banks that are um, FDIC insured, which is Federal Deposit Insurance, are federally regulated, and they won't really touch cannabis. What that means is that intrastate banks, states that only trade within a single state are basically the only ones offering cannabis lending so in Massachusetts we have six or seven banks now mostly um, what are they called Uh, not co-ops uh, maybe credit they are unions. credit unions. Yes, I, I'm not. a am not a financial yeah. guy. But yes, uh, we have credit unions that are six or seven of them that are doing cannabis lending. The issue is if you can't get lending from a cannabis bank, where do you go? That's really what the applicants have been running into. So in Massachusetts, we have two bills up for consideration. They're actually the news broke as I was on stream with you that they're going to be hear, heard. These bills are going to be heard by a joint uh, hearing of the legislature on June 15th at 10 a.m. And the bills are h one Seventy-seven and H one fifty-eight in Massachusetts, they would actually use a portion of the cannabis excise tax revenue to fund the um, these applicants getting through the application process, so they don't have to rely on that vulture uh, finance capital.
0: Nice. Well, you know, guess on those bills, and thanks, man. That's uh, very interesting.
1: Yeah, Grant. Thank you so nice. much for joining us today. Uh, where can people go to contact you or get in touch if they want to get involved in the Massachusetts cannabis community?
3: Oh well. Thank you all for having me and for that prompt. I realized I came on and said I was just some guy. I'm the president of the Massachusetts Cannabis Reform Coalition. Um, so you can find more about MassCan at uh, masscan, masscan org. You can find me on Facebook at Grant Smith. You can also find me at grantsmithellis.com, where I publish a litany of articles related to cannabis on a, a weekly basis, all uh, free to access. And um, MassCan also hosts the annual Boston Freedom Rally, sometimes incorrectly called the hemp fest because viv will Absolutely, throw me out a window if we call it the Hemp Fest, but it is the Boston Freedom Rally on the Common. We don't, it. we don't know if it's going to happen in person this year or not. But uh, if it does, it'll be on September 18th from noon to 8 p.m. And uh, keep an eye on the MassCan social media to find out if it's going in going forward in person.
1: Awesome, oh. we'll do. And Maggie, I'm so jealous of you. Uh, you got to send us some pictures of your uh, ventures. In yeah, week, we
0: almost. So. Like, I, you know, uh, when you take them out, like make. Sure sure yeah Miggy. if you could just kind of position like switch around well no let's keep Miggy in the shot too but like can hey. we exit and we'll wrap the show with miggy and cabo and seeing the,
1: <laughs> the beach yeah, there we go margaritas yeah. are good <laughs> yep that'll do it for cannabis legalization <laughs> news guys thanks for tuning in we will see you on sunday